The following program is provided by Alaska Outdoors Magazine on Talk 700 KBYR. Opinions and views expressed on Alaska Outdoors Magazine are not necessarily the opinions and views of staff and management of KBYR. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Alaska Outdoors Magazine. Welcome to Alaska Outdoors Magazine with host Evan Swenson. You're invited to come along with us as we bring you accurate and authentic answers for Alaskans by Alaskans. It's your KBYR window to Alaska's outdoors. I'm Evan Swenson, and today we're going to be talking with Tom Williams, Eagle River attorney and reindeer farmer. We'll be talking to Tom about individual rights versus group rights and how his winning his lawsuit to own reindeer could affect the subsistence controversy. If you have an interest in Alaska outdoors, you want to be here until the top of the hour. Now let's talk. Let's talk with uh, Tom Williams, uh, Eagle River attorney and reindeer farmer. Uh, Tom, what does a, a attorney do? A, a reindeer farmer, reindeer herder. Well, Evan, I was a farmer before <laughs> I was an attorney. <laughs> My father was a dairy farmer in the Matanuska Valley. Oh, really? You grew up in the valley. I grew up on oh, a dairy farm. Really? And I learned to enjoy farming. So. In fact, back in uh, 1957 or 58, uh, I was taking an agricultural class when my ag teacher started telling this story about a wonderful reindeer enterprise out in the Seward Peninsula near Nome. And I asked him, I said, well, why is it then that we're farming Holstein dairy cows, which are very thin-haired and not doing well in our cold weather, when we could be farming reindeer? And his answer was rather humorous at the time. He simply said, shut up, kid, you're a white boy. Huh. So then I went to law school and found out that's not supposed to count. I came back and I reread that Reindeer Act. I wrote a letter to the U.S. government. said, hey, I want to own some. I import from foreign nations. And they said I could. Some reindeer. Right. But you don't milk reindeer like the Holstein or the Jersey. Well, you could. But <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, bring us up to date, uh, Tom, on your uh, lawsuit on reindeer. What, what? Uh, I guess first, what? Ha why you got there? You you wrote the government. They said they could, but then later on they said you couldn't, and then you had to sue. So, well, it wasn't quite like that. Um, the U.S. attorney wrote to the head of the BIA of Alaska, Niall Caesar, who. Uh, uh, took his legal opinion and then wrote me, of course, and uh -huh. told me that uh, I uh, could own reindeer that I import from foreign nations, but only those. I could never buy one from a federal government in Alaska or from an Alaskan native. So I did that. And then the natives on the Seward Peninsula, a group called Kawarik Reindeer Herders, now not all the natives of Alaska, but Kawarik filed uh -huh. a suit. And they filed their suit before the Interior Board of Indian Appeals, an administrative law court in Washington, D.C. And they simply wanted the administrative law judge to say that uh, the Reindeer Act says that non-natives may not own reindeer in Alaska, no matter where they were obtained. And that's what the court said. Only the administrative law court took it one step further. They said that I may not own those animals, um, but they were not interpreting the Constitution of the United States. They were only interpreting what the statute says, and the statute says that non-natives are totally banned from ownership, no matter where in the world they're from. So with that ruling, I was told to kill them or ship them in 30 days. 
So I uh, sued them instead. And <laughs> that was the other option that they uh, didn't count on? or yeah. First they sued me. Oh, I see. And then I sued back to uh -huh. reverse it. And Judge Sedwick in Anchorage uh, ruled that the 14th Amendment of the Constitution of the United States doesn't apply here. Now, now what do you mean by that, Tom? Well, the 14th Amendment of the United States says that no state shall deny any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. See, I was saying that I want equal protection of the law. I want to be able to own a reindeer as well as uh -huh. non-natives. And he said that doesn't apply. I found it that It doesn't shocking. apply to Tom Williams from the Butte, at least, huh? Yeah, because he... You're excluded from the equal... Uh, well, only by Judge Sedwick. Oh, I see. And... and uh, then I appealed it to the uh -huh. Ninth Circuit, his ruling. I see. His ruling, again, was that I had to kill them or ship them in 30 days. Hmm. So I appealed within the 30 days. And I went to the, then we went to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals out of San Francisco. The hearing was here in Anchorage, but the court sits in San Francisco. And the court then ruled that uh, the Reindeer Act must be interpreted to say that non-natives can own reindeer they import from foreign nations or in the alternative it would be unconstitutional under the 14th amendment mm -hmm. they didn't actually rule that they said grave concerns would arise oh, okay and they don't want to rule that way uh -huh. so they're just going to rule it so that uh, non-natives can own reindeer in alaska they import from foreign nations or are descendants of my herd so the pedigree of my animal seems to have some value I, I don't understand that, whether the reindeer comes from Canada or, or western Alaska or the Seward Peninsula, but, but at least I suspect someone understands the difference in the, in the situation, whether it's imported from Canada. But it seems that, uh, Tom, that, that uh, those that are reindeer herding were shooting themselves in the foot because now they've excluded you or any other non-native of being a customer. For live animals, of course they can ship animals out of state. Oh, I see. And in one year, they shipped over a thousand animals, reindeer, to farmers in many states in the lower 48. Now, now wait a minute. You mean that, it, that this applied only to Alaska? That that a, that uh, someone outside of Alaska could could own reindeer? A reindeer farmer in Idaho, Montana? It, you use the word applied. Yes, it did apply from 1937 until current. And guess what? They say it still does for those Alaska native animals. Up until now, uh, it was a total ban against non-native ownership. In now non-natives can own, can own those that are imported, but cannot own those that the natives own. Can't buy them from natives. You have to check the genealogy of the reindeer. But Alaskans are treated differently from all the other citizens of the United States. I believe that that's an unconstitutional ruling in and of itself. Um, and, of course, Kowarik reindeer herders have sworn to go up on appeal. Uh -huh. So they're going to challenge the constitutionality of it? Is that what we'll end up with? That's what they say. They're going to say it is constitutional, and I'll say it isn't. Uh -huh. And I'll try to blow away the whole act uh -huh. if they'd go up. If at, it goes the up. at the moment, I'm happy, but they seem to be unhappy. Now, you're, uh, you're raising uh, reindeer at the present time as a, a non-native in Alaska. Yes, I legally am. Legally and lawfully, according to the court. At my father's homestead near the Butte. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> but now let's get back to my first question. 
uh, other than the, being an attorney and wanting to prove something, uh, why reindeer? <laughs> I mean, what do you do with reindeer, Tom? Oh, they're wonderful. First of all, you know, and being an attorney has nothing to do with my agricultural activity. I've said often, and I'll say it in the future, that I believe that it takes more skill, training, education, background, understanding to be a good Alaskan farmer than it does to be a good Alaskan attorney. <laughs> I think that farming is a challenge in Alaska that far exceeds huh. the challenge of um, legal work here. Well, is it the challenge of that, of that that you're looking for then? or Yes, I'd uh -huh. like to farm something that'll work. You know, I think that the law of Alaska is that uh, you can't farm anything, any animal here that'll grow. It's illegal. <laughs> explain that. <laughs> well, you can only farm animals that won't grow. In other words, you can farm cows, pigs, chickens, uh, ducks, but you can't farm moose, caribou, reindeer. Uh, well, you can now. The what reindeer? But ptarmigan and spruce hen. Why? Because the Fish and Game Department wants to control all the indigenous animals. But they allow you to farm the animals that cost too much to really be successful. For instance, in uh, Iowa, corn grows to be 10 feet tall uh -huh. in one year. Yes. Guess what? According to the song. In Anchorage, willows grow to be 10 feet tall in one summer. Really? And if we use the silage chopper to chop our willows and feed them to reindeer and moose, I think we'd have a much more successful agricultural program. Well, now, Tom, can you uh, can you go into a restaurant here in Anchorage and purchase some reindeer steak from your farm? Yes, you can. Really? Uh, and I haven't, I've never seen it on a, a menu, but uh, do you know of any place where you could go and buy reindeer uh, steak? <laughs> I had some once at Yen's, a gourmet restaurant uh -huh. here in Anchorage, off uh, Arctic, I believe. But I sell all my meat to Alaska Sausage Company. Uh -huh. I produce about a ton a year, and he takes it from there. And uh, the loins, I believe, go to the gourmet restaurants around and are considered uh, excellent fare. Uh -huh. Now, of course, a ton of reindeer uh, a year, is uh, that's hardly in, in industry. That's correct. Uh -huh. However, see that, I have about 100 animals of my uh -huh. own now. However, since 1987, with all the pressure and everything, I have shipped over 300 animals into 23 states. So while I do not have an industry, and while I've been set back by 10 years of litigation in court, it needs to be recognized that I have built an industry in the lower 48. I r deeply regret that that industry has left Alaska by orders of the government. Those that, it seems to me, Tom, that are sworn to protect that are those that have become your enemy in it, and hence then my enemy. If I can't go to the restaurant and get reindeer meat that uh, someone somewhere else could from your herd. I don't understand that. Well, I'm sorry, but I don't understand it either. No. <laughs> it's been a long, difficult fight, but the fight has been to assert my individual right to own a reindeer. It seems like such a small thing that nobody really cares about. But you know what I had against me at the Ninth Circuit was Alaska Federation of Natives, Chugach Regional Corporation, Cook Inlet Regional Corporation, Kowarik Regional Corporation, Kowarik Reindeer Herders 
Association and the Department of Interior, BIA, federal government. Where, so I had six guys on the other side hiring lawyers and pumping money into them and filing briefs against us. Now that we've won, we only have two coming against us at this moment. All the others, the regionals dropped out and the federal government dropped out. What we have now is uh, people filing briefs are just Kawarik reindeer herders and a new one trying to enter by a new brief, amicus curie brief they call it. Mm -hmm. And that is the uh, Native American Rights Fund. They're new on the scene. Yes. Well, Tom, do you feel like uh, kind of like uh, David and Goliath there, that, uh, that you're the David and you slew the giant that, that on this round? No, it's not really like that because, you see, I got the big gun. I have the Constitution of the United States, and I have the uh, Constitution saying that individuals have rights. Well, let's talk about that. That was kind of the purpose of your invitation here today, group rights versus individual rights. Explain that. Well, you know, in our history and in our constitutions, both federal and the state constitution, there's a lot of language about people having certain rights. For instance, the Fifth Amendment says, no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Well, that's an individual. No person can be deprived uh, of this. Okay, no, it doesn't say no group can right. be deprived. Okay. And, I see where uh, you're coming from. And our Constitution, the you know, state of Alaska, is really brutally simple. Under civil rights, it says, no person is to be denied the enjoyment of any civil or political right because of race, color, creed, sex, or national origin. More the, specific. The legislature shall implement this, it says. So it's up to the legislature to guarantee that? Is that what that means? Yes. And Tom, let me just interrupt here and remind the listeners that uh, if they have a question, comment relative to what we're talking about today, I want to talk to Tom Williams and express uh, their thoughts about this. 561-3260. 561-3260. Go ahead, Tom. I apologize for the interruption. We have in our Constitution a demand constitutional demand that our government, our legislature, absolutely grant us absolute equal rights. And that's what our U.S., our state Supreme Court ruled in the McDowell case when they attempted to uh, divide up subsistence rights by group, uh -huh. rural versus urban or native versus non-native. None of that can be done. According to the state constitution. That's right. And, of course, that Constitution was examined and accepted by the United States when Alaska was admitted to the Union on equal footing with all the other states. Now, California, in their Proposition 209, is making an attempt to bring their Constitution to the absolute equality that you find in the Alaska Constitution by wiping out affirmative action programs. So what, what you're saying is is that the subsistence issue then and is in some way uh, parallel or uh, equal to, in, uh, at least in principle, to, the affir uh, to affirmative action? Well, it seems like it's affirmative action to say that rural people should have rights that urban people should not have or that native people should have superior rights to non-native people. Personally, I think that it that's grouping people or classifying the citizens either where they live or by race. 
or but, by religion. But, but what's wrong with uh, that, Tom, to say that these folks that live in uh, the bush, uh, whether they be native or non-native, what's wrong with them having the first crack at the game in as much as it's maybe more their lifestyle and, than others? Well, I think Julie Kick has told it to us today in the newspaper. She said that it could foment uh, civil war. And we see that, uh, confirm that in Israel versus the Arabs. And, you know, they're going to have Golan Heights. And I, I'm not sure of that conflict other than it's a classification by race. And we see it in Ireland, the Irish Catholics versus the English Protestants. We see it uh, in when there was slavery in the South and the black people were owned by white people. Those things are all classifying citizens one way or another, either by race or by... Uh, geog geography. Let's uh, let's talk to John, uh, Tom. This is Evan Swenson, Alaska Outdoors. You're uh, talking to uh, Tom Williams concerning uh, individual rights and group rights. Uh, John, go ahead. Yeah, my name is John, Mur uh, John Murphy from Meadow Lakes. And Tom, I'm f very familiar with your farm and your struggle. I have to, have to absolutely agree with you that according to our Constitution, we're all equal. Now, reindeer weren't even introduced into the state of Alaska except by white men to feed the natives. Then they blew it, and then they took over native, uh, took over the successful white men's farms, and then thus now you're having a problem versus uh, you're not allowed to have a reindeer because you're not a native. Now I think that that is constitutionally, in the state of Alaska, that's constitutionally not allowed. I'm so glad to see that you won your battle finally. Well, uh, John, were you aware that uh, up until today that uh, Tom had won that battle? Uh, yeah, I was. Uh, I always keep track of it. Yeah, you okay. won it. You didn't win it today. You won it uh, a while back in the ninth right. uh, district. Uh, yes, John, that was May twenty-eighth, and, and everybody you. thought you was a loser. Thank you for your support. But the I thing is, you know, Tom, if you're, I'm a farmer here. I have a three-acre uh, three-acre farm over in Middle Lakes. I raise birds. Uh huh. But you don't raise ptarmigan. No, uh, hold it now. Don't, don't ask him to answer that question. You'd have to take the Fifth Amendment. If, well, I don't have to do. take the Fifth Amendment, Tom, because I'm not doing anything illegal, just like you weren't. But, you know, I heard uh, the host of the show, uh, uh, sorry, I forget your name. It's Evan Swenson. Evan, uh, the statistics issue is the same thing, you know. We are either citizens of this state or we are not. And every man has a right to build and breed or do what he does as long as he doesn't interfere with one another. Now, I'm a, actually a very pro-native guy, all right? But the thing is, hey, they want to live in the bush. They want to do their thing. They want to deny this man his rights as a farmer. Now, this farm is right over in the Butte. No big deal. All right? But the thing is, this guy spent a lot of time and energy. And he didn't charge anyone else for his time and energy. He just did it himself, you know? And because, you know, we're not racial up here. I don't think Alaskans are racial at all, to tell you the truth. But... Uh, this has got to stop, you know. We're all citizens of this state. There's 600,000 people in this state. I come from New York City. There's more people in my neighborhood than there is in this state. You have to, if we don't uh, respect individual rights, the right to own private property, then we have absolutely nothing. Well, what you're saying then, uh, uh, John, is, is that when Tom says individual rights versus group rights, you say it's all individual rights, no group rights. Yeah, well... I'll sum it up for you, just like Aaron Rand did. She says, the public consists of a group of individuals, and once you steal an individual right, you're not looking out for the public good. John, you said something earlier that I'd like to comment to. You pointed out that uh, reindeer 
are neither native to Alaska nor part of Alaskan native way of life. That's true. Well, that sentence, John, you almost quoted from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, Judge Kaczynski. That's exactly what he ruled in my case. And his ruling seemed to go that uh, anything that the natives have as a cultural aspect may have a different treatment to uh, law. The law will have a different treatment to it than those things that were not natives. Now, the native group that argued against me argued that native culture is not static. What they said was that it's changing. Culture changes. So it it changes to include things like snow machines and rifles and Mm -hmm. helicopters and machine guns and nets and et cetera, et cetera. Versus monkhoods poisoning, right? Yeah, coming out of the Stone Age. Well, they would say then that the Reindeer Act uh, was just a change in culture. But that me- does this mean that when native culture changes to include non-native uh, methods and means, non-native m- improvements, that the non-natives can no longer use them? Example would be housing. Uh, non-natives brought housing to Alaska and built insulated warm houses, and natives then started yeah. making use of them. Does that mean that non-natives can no longer live in houses? <laughs> well, you see, that, that's the catch-22, you see, because <laughs> if, you, if you deal outside of the intellect and deal on emotion, everybody thinks that the native culture is being shattered. Now, for instance, I'm a big fan of native culture, right? Mm-hmm. But I am not a native. John, right? can you uh, hold uh, on for a few minutes? We need to take a break. Yeah, can you, you. you stay with us through the break? Sure, I'd like to get this off my chest Okay, thank time. you. I appreciate the call. We'll be right back and talk more with Eagle River attorney and reindeer farmer Tom Williams. Stay tuned to Alaska Outdoor Magazine, Accurate and Authentic Answers for Alaskans by Alaskans. There's an author masterminds book by T. Martin O'Neill, operational intelligence specialist, field operative, and true patriot, Into the Fire. Members of the elite Navy SEALs performed operations from counter-narcotics, counter-human trafficking, and even counter-piracy. These men placed their lives on the line daily as true humanitarians. Seen through the eyes of attached naval intelligence operatives, their stories can now be revealed. These operations, specific missions, even their love stories are recounted in Into the Fire. You'll find all of T. Martin's Navy SEALs novels with the publication's consultant's logo on the cover at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and everywhere good books are sold. If you'd like to be an author mastermind's published author like T. Martin O'Neill, operational intelligence specialist, field operative, and true patriot, publication consultants can help. If you've written a book, if you're writing a book, or if you're thinking about writing a book, call for the free booklet, Bringing Your Book to Market. Call 349-2424. Into the Fire was just a dream until T. Martin ordered his own Bringing Your Book to Market. Publication consultants will send you the booklet free. Call 349-2424 for the free booklet Bringing Your Book to Market. 349-2424. T. Martin O'Neill called, and now Into the Fire is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and everywhere good books are sold. We've got uh, John uh, still uh, holding through the break. Uh, John, we appreciate you staying with us. My pleasure. Go ahead. Well, I was just trying to prove a point that, like, you know, 
Tom is not up there hunting beluga whales or anything and taking away from native heritage at all, right? Because, you know, it's not a heritage to eat mukluk. If you've ever tried it, you won't do it. He's raising reindeer, and I don't know what. You have 100, 200 uh, reindeer on your farm there, Tom? Yes, I do. Not a great thing. I mean, it's not a great amount of animals. I mean, and they're well cared for. I've been there myself. John, how long have you been in Alaska? You haven't Since lost your... 1985. New- 1985. Uh, you haven't lost your New York accent yet. Catholic education in Brooklyn. was <laughs> like a fingerprint. But the thing is, uh, you know, if we are to be a state, we cannot be divided by this stuff. This man has done nothing ever wrong to anyone. He raised a few hundred reindeer. If the natives want to go get reindeer, there's herds that run up there in the North Slope there in that area, you know. He's not interfering with anyone. Yet, because... And I'm not racial, all right? I have four black grandbabies, all right? But the thing is, look, talk straight. Yeah. This man, all he does is he, he likes reindeer. He raises them, and he shows them off, and uh, he cares for them. And uh, why should he be uh, restricted for the right to do that? Well, I, I raise you... ducks, geese, chickens, and turkeys. <laughs> what we're talking about, I can't do that. What we're talking about today, uh, uh, also, beyond the reindeer, we're talking about group rights versus individual rights, well, there John. Is, there is no argument about that. If yep. you don't have an individual right, you can't form a group. John, thank you very much for calling and staying with us through the break. We're going to move on. Uh, Bob, uh, we'd like to hear from you next. This is Evan Swenson, Alaska Outdoors. You're talking to Tom Williams. Go ahead. Uh, hey, Tom. I really appreciate your reindeer farm out in the valley. It's uh, certainly added uh, benefit to everybody in the valley here. And I admire the fact that you work so hard to you know, fight diligently with your time and money to, to, to deal with this because, against the unlimited resources of the government. Uh, thank but, you, Bob. And also, I want, I want to have a question for you and one more comment, and that is uh, I've noticed that the lower courts, especially when it comes to constitutional issues, tend to rule what is politically correct rather than what is constitutionally correct how you get to the higher courts, like the Ninth Circuit. I believe that part of that is the uh, lower court may not have the resources, I'm sorry, intellectual resources, may not have an understanding of the Constitution. By the time it goes up to the uh, appellate court level or the U.S. Supreme Court, you're dealing with judges who deal with those issues every day, and uh, they have more experience with them. It's just that it costs so very much for a single citizen to take it up. Uh, it, it does. It's a very expensive battle, and uh, in fact, my, my comment is based on the uh, a battle that I'm up against, and that's the curfew battle. Uh, you know, I think... You know, what you read in the Constitution is pretty straightforward, but I'm wondering what your comments are on the, the curfew that that's happening in Anchorage. Do you have any comments on that? On Sorry, con- I haven't it. even thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can only have so many uh, <laughs> mental <laughs> thoughts in your head at one time, and that one, I, uh, my children are all adults now, and it's not a current issue that's slapping me in the face since I live in the Valley, and I just haven't given it a thought. <laughs> I, I think Tom's plate's full, he says. <laughs> hey, well, uh, anything else, Bob? Uh, that's it. Thank you. Okay, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Uh, Tom, uh, how does this uh, group rights uh, thing, uh, what does that have to do with subsistence in the final analysis? Well, obviously, there, uh, there's an attempt to classify Alaskan citizens either as rural or urban or native and non-native. Now, many people say, well, it's not native, non-native, it's rural versus urban. And so that makes it okay. But even that is grouping of people, rural people versus urban people. But 
if you read today's paper and see what the head of the Alaska Federation of Natives, Julie Kitka, had to say, you'll see that she at least believes that it's native versus non-native. Uh, she had three objections to the um, year and two month extension before the big decisions made to take uh, subsistence uh, fishing from um, the state of Alaska. And those three objections, two of them have to do with uh, native communities. It doesn't meet the native needs of the native communities and it fails to guarantee for a role for natives in managing fish and wildlife. Well, that, to me, if those are her goals, then she believes that this law would group native versus non-native citizens. Well, uh, Tom, uh, I read that this morning. One of the things that uh, I was interested in, and I brought this up knowing I was going to visit with you today and see where this would uh, lead us, uh, she said the native Alaskans uh, feeling, are feeling their backs are against the wall. She says prolonging the dispute may lead to acts of civil disobedience, boycotts, and people being arrested for continuing to pursue their subsistence lifestyle without regard for state hunting and fishing seasons or bag limits. She said people will strike back whichever way they can. Uh, and then she says, well, anyway, uh, we'll go on to something else there. What does, uh, how does that square up with what you're talking about, group rights, individual rights? What do you mean she, when she says that, that there will be civil disobedience? Well, uh, you know, I wasn't there at the uh -huh. Chamber of Commerce meeting yesterday in Anchorage, and I didn't hear the speech, so I'm uh, limited to what uh, Tom Keyes and Don Hunter wrote for the uh, As I am. Uh, Alaska Daily News, sometimes called the Daily Worker. And so they interpreted it, what she said, and then put it in the newspaper. So we don't want to be too harsh on her. I was a little confused when I read it. At first I thought she was saying that the non-natives would commit civil disobedience and boycotts and that non-native people would be arrested because they'd go out and continue their non-native subsistence lifestyle. And then it, it dawned on me that, no, she was thinking that the other side would do that. Well, I agree that this stupid law is going to create civil disobedience. I agree with her that there could be conflicts. I just don't know which way it's going to go. Well, who's going to take the lead and start conflicting? Go ahead, Tom. Well, I believe that there is an answer. And the answer is found in our state constitution, our federal constitution. It's very simple. And it's very clear. Absolute equality for all citizens. Anytime you classify citizens, they're going to have civil conflict. You can't do that. It's impossible to have a peaceful country when that country is divided into different groups. One group has superior rights to another group. Each state must treat all of its citizens equal. And that's going to win in the end. It's just a matter, you know, this hasn't gone to a court yet. Somebody will take it to court. Somebody, not me. <laughs> I'm broke. <laughs> somebody else will uh, rise up. Maybe somebody named McDowell or Outdoor Council or somebody is going to say, gee, you know, our Constitution talks about individual rights, and that should control here. And if it does control and we're for all equal, then we won't have groups of people shooting at each other. 
Well, we've got uh, Ken on the line, Tom. Ken, you're talking to Alaska Outdoor Magazine, Evan Swenson. We're talking to Tom Williams, group rights versus individual rights. Go ahead. Well, thanks, Evan. Uh, Tom, I was, I was listening uh, to what you said. And, uh, you know, first I'd like to tell you that I lived in uh, Galena and Fort Yukon on the Yukon River for 18 years. And uh, one of the things that I always heard Native people say, especially when I talked about subsistence rights, was the fact that it was always a right that they had. They lived on the river, and they had open uh, access to fish and game and wildlife. And only since we moved up here did those things begin to get regulated. And one of the things they feel they have no power say in is when commercial fishing along the uh, Norton Sound takes so much of the king salmon and the silver salmon that the nets and the fish wheels, etc., show less and less harvest, then they depend on more and more on, on other types of uh, game like, uh, you know, moose and caribou and beaver. And uh, when we come in and we regulate to the point where they say they can't go out and just get it, as they have for their entire gener- you know, generations, and then other people who live off of the economy that we've created here in Anchorage and live well, they feel like, well, this is a double standard. You can have a good quality of life in Anchorage and Fairbanks and the suburban areas, but when you live in the bush and you've lived there all your life, your God-given rights are constantly being eroded to the point now where you're saying, well, we can't even agree as a people to have a constitutional agreement that those who live in the bush need this extra support. Instead, we fight with them like we're supposed, like, you know, we think they're getting something special. They feel like we're getting, you know, the, the white people who live in the cities are getting something special. How do you answer that, Tom? Oh, it's very easy. Our state of Alaska has created uh, many different game management units throughout, and each one of the units has different rules to uh, allow for the people in that unit to have equal rights to those resources. Uh, some unit areas are very limited because there's limited supply of game animals and other areas are not limited. I think there was a time this uh, winter, this this year in the last 12 months that out near the Seward Peninsula you could shoot 16 caribou a day. Now that was for every man, woman and child. There's no way anybody could eat that many and I think the season is like not closed uh, because there are too many animals in the western Arctic caribou herd. I think it was open year round. Now, it's possible that uh, some of the fish and game rules are not fair to all the citizens and treating everybody on an equal basis. Certainly commercial fishermen who are making money at it uh, should be required to leave enough by rules, by fish and game rules, to allow all the other citizens to have food for subsistence purposes. But you shouldn't divide the citizens by race and say only brown people can eat and white people cannot eat. Brown people can have the local foods that are available. White people have to import their food from some other state. That's not fair. Let's write rules and laws. Let's uh, get the Fish and Game Department to enforce laws that accommodate each of the areas and will still maintain our fish and game on a sustained yield basis. Well, now, can that, uh, to satisfy the caller, Tom, can that be done uh, where that those living in the bush, uh, native or non-native, can take advantage of those resources that are right at home? Well, I should certainly think so. Uh, each area has uh, 
different kind of resources available to it. I think the subject matter before us has to do with the uh, Yukon River and uh, town of Galena or thereabouts in Fort Yukon where they, I think, uh, harvest fish that come up there. And yes, it's true that some commercial fishermen with uh, that the state of Alaska may have written laws that allow commercial fishermen to take too many fish. But I don't think of that as a racial issue. I think of that as a control issue, and the state just needs to fix their own controls. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, caller. Well, the I really don't distinguish between whether it's a, any type of a racial question at all. Who's who's bringing that into the issue? All we're talking about is the product that's coming up the river and how it is regulated through our laws. When I, the native people are not totally involved in the political process and it's very difficult for them to be involved as far out as they live they feel less represented on these boards and these games and these fishery councils and when they sit and tell us is just right one-on-one hey the fish aren't coming here and you're talking about regulations to stop me from hunting for subsistence they're not saying look you guys are being racist they're just saying you're being unreasonable why if there isn't an issue with that then why don't people just allow the constitution of this of this state to give those rights you're saying they have the rights to fish or whatever they want and the regulations could allow that well if it's already in effect why do we have to go through all this uh, arguing why don't we just allow the constitution of the United States I mean of, of Alaska to allow people who live in the bush to hunt and fish as, as they require for subsistence well I don't know the answer to your question posed in that fashion however if you will read today's newspaper and read what the Alaska Federation of Natives uh, had said today, mm-hmm. you might see that she, at least, as a representative of the natives in Alaska, certainly believes that this is a native versus non-native issue. And also, I do not agree that the native people are not represented. They are represented in both our state house and our state senate. They are represented in our administration throughout the state. Byron Malott, I think, is going to be on this program tomorrow. He's native, and he sits on the Native Subsistence Board trying to find a solution to this. I believe they are represented. Well, I, I don't think in the same degree, but I'd also remind you of one thing, that the Native people thought they were being represented by our, our senators and congressmen when they made this ruling in the federal government that they would have these rights. And really, the argument simply boils down to the political process of the state of Alaska. And what we need to do is say, look, do we want to live together in uh, harmony or do we want to have a big argument based on hunters' rights to, to the same game that the uh, subsistence people want uh, and have had for uh, generations? We're, we're causing the argument, and we should really just say, look, this is silly. We're, we're going to continue this discussion uh, throughout the uh, week and the coming days. Uh, we mentioned uh, Byron Malott will be on tomorrow, but our time has run out for today. Uh, we appreciate you calling. Will you stay tuned and, and visit with us again another day? Yes, sir. Thank you, hey, Thank you very thank much. You, Tom. Appreciate Bye-bye. that. Tom, thank you for being here today. Uh, any last uh, uh, words, as it were, before we wrap up? I only encourage all the citizens of Alaska to not be involved in civil war or disobedience, but simply stand up for equal rights for all. In the eyes of the government, there cannot be a debtor nation and a creditor nation, and there cannot be groups and racial discrimination. We must have absolute equal treatment of all citizens, 
And that is the only solution to these problems, and that's where we'll get, get to later, possibly after a lot of trouble. Good. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate you coming in. And now before we close the show, there's just time for one last cast. Today's one last cast is titled, Catch Them Again for the First Time. Do you remember your first fish? Of course you do. I remember mine like it was last week. I was in Oak Creek Canyon on opening day, fishing with a 10-foot cane pole, no reel, a piece of line tied to one end, and night crawlers for bait. I've relived that innocent excitement of that moment as I've witnessed my children catch their first fish. Alan was fishing from our homemade 12-foot boat, rightly christened Misshapen. It was early morning, and patches of ground fog blocked the rising sun, putting a chill on the spring air when his first fish, a Swanson River rainbow, took the single egg and retreated to cover, only to be turned and boated. Diane and Blake went from spectator to angler with a Russian River Red. Diane's was wrapped in foil, placed under campfire coals, and became the day's lunch. Blake's battle ended with the release of a foul hooked fish. Jesse got hooked on fishing, sitting on my shoulders. He wasn't big enough for his own hip boots, so I used mine with me still in them. His first wish was a not lake grayling. Carrie became an official angler on the spit in English Bay. She was fishing in saltwater when a 14-inch dolly took her bait. Her method of playing and landing was backing up the beach while hollering her lungs out for Dad's help. Lars broke into the ranks of fishermen on two different species on a fly rod. He was having pretty good luck while fishing for pinks on the Talshalitna River and was cast into a group of fishing moving, fish moving slowly upriver along the opposite bank and was surprised by a grayling, so surprised that he tripped or slipped on a boulder and went in over his hip boots. Recovering from the fall, he proudly stood and excitedly exclaimed, Dad, I still got him, I still got him. We ate his catch for breakfast the next morning. Betty's first fish was a silver. She was fishing with a guide from the back of his boat on one of the secret backwater sloughs off the big Susitna River. Catherine's first fish came to her not too far from where Betty landed her silver. Her first fish, however, was a Dolly Varden. She wrote a couple of paragraphs in her journal about her first fish and appropriate called it, uh, My Dolly and My Daddy. My youngest son, Easton, was a 10-year-old Weeblow Scout when he landed his first fish. Easton's older brother, Lars, invited him to put his fishing lessons and practice a practical application, and Easton's first fish actually jumped out of the lake and to the beach in search of uh, Easton's fishing fly. There is magic in fishing and a person's first catch, and it continues for a lifetime. The real magic is the first time can be relived with emphasis by sharing another's first fish, and especially if the other person is a youngster who could not otherwise have the experience without your help. As with us all, we'll remember the first one and be eternally grateful to the person who helped us catch it. My gratitude goes to those who have made this show possible and to Tom Williams for being our guest and our gracious, illustrious, knowledgeable, and always helpful engineers Bob Dean and Philip Cardenas. And special thanks to you, our loyal listener. Without you, this show would not be possible. If it's in the outdoors and it's in Alaska, you'll find it on Alaska Outdoor Magazine. Goodbye and good luck. May God bless you in the land of the midnight sun, and may your days be happy and long in Alaska's outdoors. Tomorrow, as always, we'll bring you accurate and authentic answers for Alaskans by Alaskans. In the meantime, keep in touch.